You're listening to the Broadway Podcast Network. Visit bpn.fm to discover more. Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on chumbacasino.com. I looked over at the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at chumbacasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's chumbacasino.com and live the chumba life. No purchase necessary. VGW. Void or prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. Hey, Drew Scott here. And I'm Jonathan Scott reminding you that life's better with a home policy from American Family Insurance. They can help you get just the right protection at just the right price and help you save when you bundle home and auto. Kind of like Goldilocks and the Three Bears. It'll be just right for you. We love a custom build. American Family Insurance. Insure carefully. Dream fearlessly. Get a quote and find an agent at AmFam.com. Products not available in every state. Visit AmFam.com to learn how discounts may apply to you. American Family Mutual Insurance Company, S.I. and its operating company, 6000 American Parkway, Madison, Wisconsin. This is a business. If you're going to stay in this business, if you're going to be a part of this and try to make a life in it, you have to know it is a constant falling down and picking yourself up. That is who we are and what we do. Hello and welcome to another episode of Why I'll Never Make It, featuring insightful stories and conversations with fellow artists on the realities of a career in the entertainment industry. I'm your host, Patrick Oliver-Jones, and to find out more about Why I'll Never Make It, or Win Me for short, you can go to the website winmepodcast.com. There you can find ways to support and contribute to the podcast, as well as reach out to me with any comments or questions you have. This past summer, I had the honor of working at the Muni in St. Louis again for the second time. My first production that I did several years back was Susicle, and this past summer, as I've mentioned before, I did Kinky Boots. In fact, the first episode featured two of the stars from that show, Caroline Bowman and Jay Harrison G. Well, for today's episode, I have the privilege of talking to the man who runs it all, Mike Isaacson. As the artistic director at the Muni, he shepherds a production in countless ways. He looks at costume sketches, set designs, he talks to directors and actors like myself, and he refines every stray detail along the way. Now, he'll say what no one else will say in the room, and then he'll break the tension a second later with a joke. He really pushes his colleagues on both sides of the table creatively and technically on the various productions there at the Muni, but he certainly remains friends with every single one of them. Now, he's constantly on the phone and checking email and refilling his coffee mug and downloading new music. He's constantly flying to New York and London. He's just a man always on the go. And yet his feet, his heart, his intuition are planted firmly on the ground. As I've gotten to know Mike over the years, I've come to learn that he is someone who knows that success is fleeting and ever-changing. And he's had his share of flops and shows that never made it to full production. But his guiding principle is what did he learn and what to do next. In our conversation today, he talks about the 101st season of the Muni, which I was a part of, the challenges of doing seven musicals in 10 weeks there in St. Louis. But he also talks about the shows that he's produced on Broadway, like Fun Home and Thoroughly Modern Millie, and how these shows changed him not only as a producer, 
but also as a person. Mike, thank you so much for uh, joining me here on the podcast. I am honored to be here. Yes. <laughs> now, you have just completed the 101st season of The Muni. Yes. And uh, what was it like being a part of, of such a storied and long history with The Muni? Um, it's interesting. The history, I, it's, I'm, it's a sort of a glib phrase I use, and it is glib. But actually, I say this and I believe it. The history is not my job. It actually doesn't interest me. Because I feel like my job, my obligation, my covenant is now and making sure this incredible institution is here in the future. Mm-hmm. And then history will say whatever it wants about me. <laughs> you know right. what I mean? Like, I don't, you know, like it was interesting to me during the 100th. Like, I just, I had no way to relate to that. I mean, I knew it before I took the job. I read about it. And I certainly, you know, you you don't ignore it. But it's not where... My responsibility lies. My responsibility is to this community and this incredible team and artists now. And my responsibility is to make sure that those who follow me have a place to do their work. Yeah. And then what happened in the past is, I'm sure, lovely, <laughs> lovely, lovely in a book somewhere. But, 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 but you know, isn't that the nature of theater? It's, it's that night. It's what we experience. It's who we are. It's that. That's the responsibility. And so it, I'm sure it's a lovely history. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, but yeah, you, you just celebrated 100 years, so now you're looking yes. to the next 100. Yeah. Yeah. And, 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 you know, certainly this season, the new stage has just been uh, extraordinary. I think even um, more beautiful and more exciting than we even imagined, which has been really great, you know. And then I guess the big fear... You do all this and the audience would be like, oh, okay, you know, that's nice. Mm. But that's not the reaction. They're so excited and in, in, in admiring and engaged and can't believe what they're seeing and they're really a part of it. Mm-hmm. And that's the most important thing to me. You know, the, the thing about, ironically, the history of the Muni uh, is you can't really separate the Muni from, you know, St. Louis's idea of itself. And it's a mirror. So what we've said to everybody with this project, with the campaign, really, is we can be better. We can be who we are, but we can improve and and change and not be afraid of that and move forward. And then because of that, we can do even more exciting things. And that, as a metaphor for the community, is really lovely i mean that's you don't get those chances in your life and mm-hmm. career you just don't so that is um great and the and they're receiving it that way they're so proud and you know i had a friend here last night who's i didn't even know this her son is one of the pickers who you know cleans up the garbage in the morning and hoses mm. the seats down and she said and she's and this guy just he doesn't come to the shows but after his first day, he, she said he came home. She's like, Mom, you're not going to believe it. You're not going to believe what you're going to see. It's so exciting. The new stage is so exciting, like what they've done. You know, so you go, okay, that's Yeah, yeah. Cool. if someone not a theater person yeah. gets it, yeah. then, then you know yeah. you've done yeah. something right. And, you know, we have an obligation to possibility, to the idea of possibility for the community. Like to show the whole point of what everybody's done around here for five to eight years is we've constantly been pushing ourselves. And the audience has been understanding that and that excites them. 
It's the closest equivalent. The way, the way I can actually explain it is, so this is their team and there's that sense of identity, right? Right. And it's not always about winning. It's about improving your game and the hustle at the game. And they've seen us each year come in here pushing ourselves to do that. And that's very exciting and moving. And you hope in a bigger sense, you know, because I'm always saying, well, if we can do it, you can do it. Right. Well, taking a piggyback on that team metaphor, since you're kind of the head of the team, mm-hmm. how have you yourself grown over the years as, as you've been with, with Muni? Um, it's a never-ending journey. It's always a struggle in the sense that I, uh, I love being a part of teams. I've always had professional and personal partnerships. I'm not, I'm not an authoritarian mindset, but at the same time, I've learned that I have to provide that to a degree. To be that kind of leader for people in an institution. And there's times you have to step up. And it's not a step that I would, you know, I mean, to be a politician these days, you have to be, uh, to survive all that, you have to be an egotist and a narcissist to some degree. Yeah. Well, you have you to know. know what you bring. Yeah. You have to know what and you've that's got. not my, that's never been my thing. But leadership requires a certain amount of, you know, when nobody has the answer, you have to provide it or you have to do the step forward. And I don't have to do it a lot, to be honest, because everyone's so talented. And if you do the right work up front on a show, everything plays out. But it's also, for me, philosophically flawed, because it's hard to believe that you're a leader of something that is so obviously a communal effort. Right, because how many people here are at well, the Muni? There's I mean, 600 here. Yeah, there's hundreds. Yeah, yeah. so to, to say that, you know, the joke I make, but it's not a joke, is... I take credit for everybody else's work. Right. At the same time, I've learned people need someone to center that all on. And right. so that's part of the job. Yeah. If you're, if a, a team is going in a direction, someone's got to be at the front of it, making right. sure that it's, it's in the right direction. Right. And with regards to the Muni, obviously the big focus is the, the summer long season, but it's a, it's a year round institution, right? You know, we've grown more year round and, and the strategic plan is to do more year round. I mean, we're about to make a big series. We have a, we have some amazing education programs, but we're going to go deeper into that. We got an amazing grant to help us do that. And that will increase the year round activity. You know, I get patrons a lot, like, couldn't you do eight, nine shows a season? Which is lovely because they love it so much. But they want more, yeah. They want more, but everybody's 24-7 around here for those 10 weeks. So it's really physically, mentally taxing, and there's only so much. And the other thing is, my personal opinion is today's culture and today's society is when you can pick up your phone and get anything now, everything's ubiquitous and easy, and there's no problem getting it. The fact that something is rare and it's here and it's gone is actually a beautiful value. It increases essentially our economic value. The fact that it's here only, you know, I cannot tell you the number of people. There's a woman last night who came up to me. She said, I live all year for my muni summers. Hmm. If you liquidated that or made that last thing, I think you'd impact the core of what it is. Now, hopefully we'll start doing, I think, in the next three to five years where there's some internal conversations of in the fall, some maybe one-off music events. Mm-hmm. Once we have the whole stage and the whole campaign done, because that seems to make sense in St. Louis Falls or beautiful weather-wise. So, you know, we can do a little bit more, but there's also the year-round just to create those 10 weeks. I mean, we'll finish here on August 15th. We'll all basically have those 10 days. 
And then September 1st, we have to dive in hot and heavy on budgeting and understanding the next season. And that's a huge internal exercise because we take it very seriously and get down to, you know, the dime. Yeah. And so the fall is where you lay out the budget as well as the actual season? Or have you already kind of planned out? I mean, basically at this point, like mid-season of this one, I have a pencil sketch. But we, uh, we survey the audience and I see how that comes up against that. Oh, okay. Like, what shows did... Uh, yeah, you know, like, yeah. I mean, I sort of know, or I have a very strong instinct of what's going to come up high and where it's going to be. Uh, but you check it, and you do that, and sometimes a surprise goes, oh, you see that? And then I quickly have to have... I mean, the most important thing is the artists I want to create those shows. So then it's availability, and can you do this, and are you available, and this is this slot. I mean, you know, we live by a spreadsheet around here. Right. Would you be available to this? And I'm asking them in September to commit for the following summer, which we know in our business is a very hard thing to do. Because anything can happen. Anything can happen. You know, and the caliber of talent that I want to work with, they have a lot of opportunities, you know, and this is the reality. So when it comes to the shows, what what do you look for in shows that you bring to St. Louis? And then what type of artists, both directors, actors and such, do you look for in putting those shows together? Well, I mean, the hallmark of the shows is just variety. It's just something old, something new, something powers. I feel like if you're going to be a subscriber for us, come to us seven nights in a row in the summer, which is a huge commitment. We need to give you an adventure. So I love the fact that we open with Guys and Dolls, we go to Kinky Boots, and now we're going to go to 1776. I think that says something very healthy about the theater and the community. You know, so it's not one thing at all. I mean, we sort of always have the tradition is there's always one big family show where grandparents can bring, you know, that's a huge thing. And that's Cinderella this year. It's, you know, often the Disney catalog. And then generally, since I've been here, I've always had on the stage each season at least two shows that have never been on the mini stage before. So there's always two premieres. So there's three right there. And generally, I've done two classics you know, American musical theater classics. So that's five of the seven where you're kind of, they're shaped going into it as a guideline. And then those last two are what's available, survey, what do I want? Is there a director or somebody who's really passionate about something that we've never done? You know, that sort of becomes a whole thing. But, you know, and sometimes you look at, you. then I literally look at the titles. I put them up on the wall and stare at them and go, how does that feel? And what does that think? And if this is in that order, it's that. And, that feels wrong. What if we did this? You know, you're kind of, it's not a science. It's an intuition. What has been nice is our audience really trusts us. So I never hear like, well, we don't know what that is anymore. They're like, great. Let's see. You know, I mean, that's been the the thrill of Kinky Boots. Vast majority of these audience had never seen the show and they're going out of their minds. I mean, there's nothing better than a joyous surprise for an audience. Yeah. Where they sit down and they don't know the journey at the end. I mean, that's the hard part about the standards. Because you have to do them so passionately and beautifully to allow the audience to forget what they know, which is hard. That's the hard part about any artist, especially whenever you're reviving something or recreating something, is giving it fresh new life so that the, the, the audience is taken on a new journey yeah. with an old favorite. Right. <laughs> right. And then with regards to, to the actors and directors that you bring on, what, what, what makes a, a, a muni artist? I think... I mean, I have to be honest, when I started this, I thought one of my biggest continual challenges would be getting people to work here. And it's not easy. It's hard. Hmm. And it's turned out the opposite. I don't have enough shows for people I want to work with. And that's painful sometimes because they create great work 
and you want, you know, you want to, and it's, I mean, it's a great place to work and this crew and people really, um, the transformation we've made, what I would describe the culture when I walked in the door is you walked in as an artist, director, choreographer, and there were 40 nice people with their hands folded, looking at you saying, this is how we do shows here. So let's figure out how to do your show this way. And now it's, who are you? What's your vision? What are you trying to create? Great. We're going to give you everything we can to get that on stage. Yeah. And it's much more fun for everybody and exciting. It's a hell of a lot harder. It's not a factory model. Right. Yeah. Because every show then becomes right. different, a different right. process. So, you know, I, my general process is, you know, and it's great. I call the family of people who've worked here. I said, this is where I'm at. And I just talk to them and you can sort of intuitively find out the show that makes their heart beat faster. They've always, oh, I've always wanted to do that. Oh, you know, that's not for me. I mean, people are very honest. Mm -hmm. And I sort of get that intuitive information. And then I sort of look at that. There's also, you know, I want to continually bring in new people. I mean, one of the great things about this place for directors and choreographers developing themselves in their career is this is the only place in the country where you can work on this kind of Broadway scale. So... You know, I, I love new voices and, and what's that. So you begin those conversations sort of years out. And then I kind of, you know, there might be somebody who's been a part of our family who we're all enjoying them, watching them grow their skills and talents. And I'll say to them, you don't think you can do this show. I think you can do this show. You know, and I'll get a little aggressive, like you should do this. You should, you've never done this. You should do this flavor or this kind of show. Hmm. You do this, this, and this. Everybody knows you this. I think you can do this. That happened for me, for example, um, in my first season. Disney had Aladdin, and they were sort of between Seattle and the Broadway production. Right. And they knew it was going to be a couple of years. So they very generously allowed me to just essentially license the show as it was at that point. And at that point, the script was much more of a vaudeville, in a sense. Mm. It, you know, they did a lot of work on it subsequent to Seattle. Great work. Um, but you know, I called Gary Griffin who I'd worked with, um, tangentially as a co-producer of color, the original color purple in New York. And I'd seen all of his work in Chicago. His Sondheim work is incredible. And I just called him and I said, you're one of the funniest people I know. And you do all this Sondheim stuff. That's everybody knows. Do you want to come here and do this lark? It's a vaudeville. It's literally a souffle a Disney family extravaganza souffle and he came and it was hilarious and fun. And that was very rewarding to see somebody do another. So, you know, I occasionally do a bit of that and somehow it all kinds of settles into the right place. Yeah. It's a matter of having that big picture vision, right. but then having the detail to put the right piece in the right puzzle. Yeah. And it's also for me, my, producing model here is you know if i try to control everything i'd be dead so it's all about trust and understanding for mm -hmm. me and once the core team director choreographer set costume designers you know that that list of eight men and women once we've all talked and we understand what this show is what we're really trying to create okay go yeah i'm out of your way for a period of time and we sort of divide we go into casting and we go into production and there's a whole rhythm and there's certain points where i'm like okay where are we at let's check in but i have to operate on trust so it's also people i know i feel good about trusting which is a lot of people 
Yeah. You know, people are pretty great in this business. Absolutely. Yeah. And and you've gotten a chance to work with people outside of St. Louis. You've mm-hmm. also been in the you had your foot in the Broadway yeah. circle and you've done such a variety of shows from like Bring It On to Fun Home and everything in between. Yeah. Is there do you kind of have that same model of stuff that you look for at the Muni to the stuff that you work on outside of the Muni? I mean, the Broadway producing which has been with my partner Kristen Kasky now for 23, 24 years. That's always been the two of us responding honestly to an artist. If you look at that collection of shows that I've been so lucky to produce on Broadway with her and other people, it's all based on someone at some point saying to us, you know, I have this vision, I have this idea, and you sort of just get a a sense. All the stuff we've done as the lead producer, sometimes your co-producers, which is a very different thing. And I love doing that, too, because you're kind of just supporting. Millie, I actually saw at the reading at NAMT and was like, oh, there's something here. So they come from very different sources. There's not one thing. But generally, what I would say, if there's a common theme, is there's somebody whose passion and and that we go, yeah, that that there's that. And we sort of see how it fits together. You know, I mean, I think... I mean, Broadway's a very interesting place right now. I mean, it has changed. God, I feel old to say shit like this, but I'm sorry, can I say it? (laughs) Uh, But it has changed so much since I started working there in 97. And I'm very sanguine about change. I never judge it. It is what it is. Mm -hmm. Uh, What's incredibly exciting right now is, in my lifetime, musicals have never been more popular. People are into musicals. Thank you, Wicked. Thank you, Hamilton. Thank you, a whole bunch of things that have happened. Thank you, Disney. But so that's really exciting. What has changed on the sort of business production end is no one would have thought when Phantom of the Opera opened, it'd still be running 40 years later, whatever right. this is. Right. And now, for a variety of reasons, those smash hit shows just run forever. Like, you know, audience members will say, oh, when, you know, they don't know how it works. When can we do Wicked? When can we do Hamilton? I'm like, that's not going to happen in my lifetime. Yeah. yeah. You know, I mean, and, and that's not that different. I actually did the research, like Oklahoma up on Broadway, I think in 40, I should know this, 44. It was like the mid 40s. Yeah. yeah. And the first mini production wasn't until like 56 or so. So, you know, there's that. Yeah. But anyway, in terms of Broadway, these extraordinary musicals are just running forever. So it's changing What's happening now, we're at this moment where, the way I explain it is, Broadway has now become a place similar to what Vegas was in the 50s, 60s, and 70s, where you went to see someone. Now you're going, I'm going to New York because I'm going to see Wicked. I'm going to see Hamilton. I'm going to see Lion King. It's a destination of known quantities, or a lot of it, as compared to, you know, up until really the, I'm going to say, late 90s, you know, it was a destination of interesting new quantities, some that were bigger than others, you know? I mean, when you look at it, it's so funny when we think about these golden age musicals, like Music Man ran like two years. You know, these things that we look as iconic, I don't, I think West Side Story did less than two years, the original one on Broadway. That has all changed. You can, you know, Chicago. I mean, how long has Chicago been running? Right, right. Like, and you and know, the revival yeah, that's far surpassed yeah, the original. Yeah. yeah, so, I mean, that has changed what and how you can produce and what that economic model is. And, you know, it is what it is. Your your job as a, as a producer, you just have to accept we have to constantly refigure out what this is. So all of that comes into play. And so New York is, um, 
New York, how New York serves this nation and what New York is, is people go there to become something. It is the magical land of transformation. And that is reflected in so much of what goes on there. The rest of the country is not about that. That's why people leave to go to New York. They want that thing. I'm not, I'm, I'm, I'm being sort of absolute, but there is a different thing you serve in different areas of the country based on what it is. Absolutely. Um, the, the Muni experience is about, for me, it's about surprise. It's about wonder. It's about ritual. It's about possibility. But producing on Broadway or being on Broadway or trying to be on Broadway can be a very challenging, frustrating thing. And what I get most upset about is when it gets cynical. When people like, I got tired of walking into a new musical that wasn't mine in previews and just feeling this sense of cynicism surrounding me. And I'm not a cynical guy. And that's disturbing to me. I don't, I think mm. that that is awful. And you have to deal with that a lot there. It is part of the culture. I mean, its roots aren't necessarily bad, but it's there. What's amazing about this audience, they sit down each day, night and they're just, what do you got for me? They, they love it so much. And I, you know, I think if you're in theater, it is. You sort of, you have this sense that it is a little bit miraculous. So Yeah, th yeah it's always interesting whenever I talk to people who are outside the business. You know, I'm kind of in the kind of the mud and grime of it and it kind of gets it you know it just mm -hmm. just becomes a grind and but you talk to someone else about the work i've done or what i'm going to be and they're just oh my God, awestruck yeah. by it yeah, yeah. It, it really yeah. is magical to them what we yeah. do yeah i mean it's 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 what nicholas dante acknowledged in a chorus line with that line of when somebody says but they say to me you dance on broadway you know and it is a just a miracle to people you know i mean they just look up and so the hardship of the business does allow us to forget that, but this audience never lets me forget it. <laughs> when it comes to the Broadway shows that you've done, is mm -hmm. there one that stands out in your mind that w that was a surprise? Like you were, you know, you, you were producing it; it was good, but then it became something much more than you ever thought it was going to be. Well, I think definitely with Fun Home, it was myself, Kristen, and Barbara Whitman were the lead producers on that, and we supported its development. It was just extraordinary, but it was a challenging show to development, develop. And we did a lab at the public, which is the model where you're just at a piano and all that, which was really helpful. And it was a whole different scenic idea than what we ended up with. And the show just didn't work. Hmm. And so it was Sam who had the insights that got us to what was the production at the Newman. And going into that, you know, as a producer, you just have to be clear. The vast odds were it'd be one of those musicals that you made the CD, small theaters would do, would be known as, you know, something very special within the industry, within theater, musical theater devotees, but wouldn't go there. And I just remember sitting at the first preview and feeling that audience and hearing that reaction and having a moment like, oh, this show's telling us it has a different journey. I mean, the show tells you, I know that sounds treacly, but it's really what happens. It was like, oh, oh, okay, oh, that. And then you get a little crazy because then you think, am I seeing what I'm seeing and I'm feeling what you're feeling and, you know, that. So at a very, at a preview, right before we opened, I asked 
two of my most challenging friends in New York to come. As, as far as like like critics of pretty much didn't like most anything I'd ever yeah. produced or you know I mean I, that's being a little harsh but you know they're going to tell you know those people you can turn to to tell you the gospel right. truth they're just going to lay it out yeah so the thing ends the show ends and they're sitting there stone silent I thought Ugh, here we go and one of them starts grabbing up his bags his backpack or whatever and he looks over and he goes best thing you'll ever do. And walks away. The other one I look over, he has tears in his eyes. And he looked at me and he said, fuck you. And I was like, that, I was, I was like, that bad? He goes, fuck you for reminding me how a musical can make me feel. Hmm. So you, you know, so that was sort of like, okay, this, this is a, we got to keep going here. You know, it, it's telling you. And, um, yeah, so that was one that was very surprising. Yeah. Have there been musicals that you had to, to leave and just like, this isn't right? Yeah, we did. Uh, it was really great. Um, it had some really wonderful things to it. We did a musical called Moonshine that was down in Dallas, which is this really warped concept, but it was brilliant. And the book was by Robert Horn, who just won the Tony for Tootsie. Um, and it was sort of based on Hee Haw. I know this sounds insane. Okay. But, Which I loved yeah, watching. Yeah, no, people loved. And it, yeah. was, it was sort of like Tootsie. It was wildly funny. But what we learned is that the moment we're in right now, doing something, and even in the South, we were in Dallas, doing something that deeply questioned or celebrated this sort of cultural history of the South, people just didn't understand what we were doing. Hmm. And I believe this about musicals right now. The show was... It wasn't a review. It was a book musical. And the music was incredible. People still email me like, can I have that music? It was by Shane McAnally and Brandy Clark. Shane's now on that TV show about creating songs. He's like one of the premieres, not the premier songwriter in Nashville. I mean, the talent was off the hook. But there was something about its moment that didn't hit. And, you know, you couldn't take it to Broadway. But that kind of experiment is great. That's sort of like, this is out there. Let's try it. Because when you hit, you really hit. I'm not talking about a commercial sense. Mm -hmm. I'm talking about the audience's ability to um, let go and experience. That's the goal. That's what you want. Yeah. Yeah. You know, it's a hard goal. Have you thought about bringing new pieces like that to the Muni? Yeah. I mean, I eventually the next stage of the campaign is also to go to commissions like us to get us to a point where we're doing a world premiere every two to three years yeah but that's a whole another endeavor for an institution yeah and we've sort of been tiptoeing into it with some of these revisicals that have required some us helping with developmental work and that you have to you have to walk into that and this is not you know I've had producers call me about doing their show as a part of our season as sort of that you know that thing that happens and it's not really about content is it's more about I'll listen to where they are in their process and the development of the show. If you're at a point where you think you understand your show and you have it down and you just want to produce it, this is probably not the best place for that. But if you're at a point where you believe in it, but you want to see do your characters work, does your fundamental storytelling work before you add all the, you know, fast moving scenic elements, this is a great place for that. 
you will find out if your audience cares about your characters, if they understand your story, if you're making an impact. And then just the technical aspect, does it work on stage? Right. Does it? Yeah, yeah. yeah. Is, does this have, you know, we, we uh, you know, uh, what I've said to people is the way you're, we're all producing shows is that you end up doing these workshops for, you know, 50 folding chairs in New York. <laughs> You know, yeah. I can sort of give you a million dollar workshop. Now, the difference is that is in New York and the industry's right there and investors can be right there. So, you know, but anyway, um, if you're if you're a certain at a certain point in your development and you're finding your way, this is a great audience for it. Because you've you've built up a, a sense of, of trust with, mm-hmm. the, with them mm-hmm. to be able to bring these these new pieces, hopefully yeah. these world premieres to them. Yeah. Going forward, uh, you're working on becoming Nancy. It's great. We're uh, I was just working on that schedule this morning. We're about to go in rehearsals. We're gonna uh, try out at the Alliance and see where the show's at. Um, I feel really good about it. Everyone's uh, inspired and ready. You know, uh, you're always, you know, it's the, it's the Sondheim thing. It's a blank page or white, a blank page. So it's always intimidating and scary. Um, I think this is the third show I've done with Jerry and he's just masterful. Yeah. You know, well, I mean, I mean, Kinky Boots, you, you were the regional premiere of that. So you definitely have a relationship with him and his work. Yeah. And so it's great. And, uh, George and Ants. I've written a beautiful, beautiful score. It's really something. People are moved by it. Um, and the book writers are real fine. He's never done a musical before, and he's fantastic. So we're all... That must be quite a journey for him, yeah. Yeah, it is. I mean, when a musical's on stage and working, they only succeed when everybody has given in to each other. Mm-hmm. You know, you can see a show and I can, you know, it's like reading Pravda. I can go, oh my God, so-and-so would not give up on this song. Or you can see in shows that aren't, from my view, successful working on stage, you can see the culture of the team emerging on the stage. Somebody wanted this, somebody this, this had to happen. And a a great musical, everybody gives in the same amount to Mm -hmm. support each other. And the audience sees that sense of balance. Right. And so this team is so ready to do that for each other. And, you know, we've, we had a bunch of private readings and then we had a, you know, a workshop in New York that was greeted well. And then the, the Alliance, Susan Booth, who's great, uh, they have that new theater and she saw it and she said, I'd love to, you know, host this premiere in Atlanta. Yeah. So off we go. And then maybe that'll be the Muni one day hosting yes. such premieres as that. Yeah. Yeah. I think, you know, it's funny. I don't, because the connection is always inevitable. It's sort of too, it's a little bipolar. Like to me, it's sort of too, they're not separate, but they're certainly distinctive. You know, why people go to Broadway and why people go to the Muni are different, equally valid purposes. Well, I think it gets back to what you were saying before about why people go to New York and why people are in the Midwest yeah. or in the rest of the country. They, yeah. they have a different want yeah. when it comes to theater. And they have a different want. I think the other thing that's very common is, I, you know, I, I do believe that, I don't know who originally said it, I should know it, but, you know, that cliche of when people buy a theater ticket, whether they understand it or not, they're hoping to exit different than when they came in. Hmm. I think there's something transformative about it. I think... You know, all those basics of our need for storytelling and and community and those primal desires come into play in both places. You know, that's that's the common denominator, you know, and I think it's feeling more special and more interesting 
because the electronic information is just proliferated. So whether they understand it or not, people are have a need for something flawed, human, connected. You know, that's the joy about the Muni. I mean, I think that's the difference. Broadway, when you're creating a show, you are, you are going after this ideal of perfection, whatever it is. You want to get it right. I don't ask for perfection at the Muni. That, to me, is <clears throat> a false god here. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's also just impossible to right. reach. Yeah. What I do ask is everyone lets each year with each show to serve that show, see how we can, how much further we can push ourselves and what we can do. And with those really high goals, if we hit 90% of them, it's extraordinary. Hmm. You know, that's perfection, but I never want, I actually had this interaction with somebody who's new to us this season who was beating themselves up over something. And I said, you really got to stop that because that is not what we're living here. Yeah. Yeah. You know, and what you're so upset about, I tell you, nobody in the audience saw that at all. I appreciate that. That's what your goal is, but that, that kind of fear can get in the way. That's my big thing. I don't allow fear. Fear is very destructive. Yeah, there's fear that can push us, which is mm -hmm. good, and then there's fear that can hold us back. Right. And it's a matter yeah. of figuring out which one. Yeah, but I don't think fear pushes forward. I think that different thing puts us forward. I think um, it's, you know, we're getting semantics, but there's a difference between fear and apprehension, and fear's ba fear based on can I do that is one thing. Right. Fear based on if I don't do it, there's a problem. That is not allowed at the Muni, at least not while I'm here. Yeah, I got you. You know, that is exactly what I want people to do is believe in themselves, stretch and see where they can go. And, you know, we, we've accomplished extraordinary work on this stage mm -hmm. based on that idea. With regards to the audience leaving the theater differently than they came in, is there a show that you also changed from when you started producing it to the time it finished? Well, I, I would have to say the landmark, you know, it's always your first. Uh, the, the, the landmark for me was Millie in 2002, because when you look back on that show in its time and its place, nobody wanted it to exist. We were the really? runs of the litter. Oh, no, you look at it in its day. Nobody knew who Fox Theatricals was, or Christian Kasky, Mike Isaacson, Hal Luftig still hadn't stepped up, Janine who? Hmm. You know, she just done Violet off Broadway. Yeah. Dick Scanlon, Michael Mayer had done one flop musical, I think, the Triumph of Love, or was that after us? I think it was before. Anyway, Michael Mayer was the most known, and even he wasn't established. I mean, you look at everybody. Sutton, who? Yeah, yeah, she was unknown. Yeah. Total unknown. So that whole experience was extraordinary and beautiful in terms of faith in each other and that and and dick and janine and michael and michael rafter i mean you know musical comedies have to be crafted and they never stopped writing they never stopped rewriting and you know they are a triumph of craft that goes into the beauty of humanity that's what musical that that's singing in the rain hmm. on paper you go what but there's something that it releases us 
releases from us and they're the hardest musical dramas are actually easier and audiences are much more into musical dramas right now um but musical comedies are really hard but anyway that whole experience nobody knew who we are we just kept believing in ourselves it was right after 9-11 i mean there was a lot we were all young i mean i look at those photos and I go oh my god <laughs> and you know but people believed in us so and then you know i i use this with young people now a lot you know when i see them hit a wall or they fallen down right i pull them in a corner and i say you know okay so what happened what happened i screwed up or this didn't happen i said okay sun's still shining still going on what did you learn yeah what have you learned yeah. that's the only thing that's required at this point and you know they answer the question and i say okay all right you know, this is a business. If you're going to stay in this business, if you're going to be a part of this and try to make a life in it, you have to know it is a constant falling down and picking yourself up. That is who we are and what we do. And if you can't give yourself that gift, you have a problem. Yeah. And I said, and if you think I'm full of smoke and blowing it, you know, whatever, walk away from here and Google the New York Times review with Thoroughly Modern Millie. I mean, no one remembers this. Brantley took 10 knives to us. Wow. Oh, it's literally, and the flapper you wrote in on. <laughs> yeah, he can eviscerate a, a musical was. like no one else. And yeah. so, you know, we had to get up the next morning. We believed in our show. We knew what the audience was. I mean, and then, you know, you know, this industry, they all wrote us off as dead, you know, and then we just kept the fight. We kept the fight. And then we got like a ridiculous amount of Tony nominations. And then we won, you know, six, including Best Musical or something. I can't remember. Yeah. But that, that was a moment for me when getting through that arc. I remember standing at the Tony party. It was at Leona Helmsley was alive. Remember that one? Oh, wow. Yeah. It was at the Helmsley Palace. And she was there sitting in a caftan with her dog. It was crazy. <laughs> she just showed up. Yeah. And people were coming. This is what I remember. Is people were coming up and saying, would you like to meet Miss Helmsley? We're like, no. <laughs> what the? F this is our party. She crashed. And they were like, it's her hotel. Someone needs to meet her. <laughs> her name's on the hotel, yeah. It's like, oh, my God. Right, yeah. Queen of Mean. Anyway, so, uh, <laughs> but I remember standing there and saying to myself, for me at that moment in my journey, that was the first time in my life that at all levels, I didn't listen to any other voices and I trusted myself. Yeah. We all had that moment. It was a domino effect on the rest of my life. I, I had no excuse for any other compromises. So it was a huge life-changing moment. It affected my personal life. It affected a lot. I literally changed a lot of my life based on that. And I'm sitting here because of it. It was just a fundamental shift in you. You've learned that you have now, you now have no, wherever it leads you, you now have no choice but to trust yourself. Yeah. So that was the life changer. And it wasn't because it was an award. Right, right, but it's basically because everything was stacked against you. Mm -hmm. People were against you. The the odds were against you. But mm -hmm. yet, as you said, you stuck to a vision. You saw something, and you went with it. Well, it's and, a, it and was, it but it, it wasn't even really about me in the sense like, as a producer, as an artist, if you're listening to the audiences and wherever we did this show, whatever version it was, they loved this show, you know. And it was funny because we did the reunion last February. Mm -hmm. And I hadn't seen, I mean, I did it my first year here at the Muni. I opened my life at the Muni with it. Go with what you trust and know. 
And we were all there and Sutton, like, it was crazy. It was like literally time in the past. I don't know what that girl's putting on her face, but geez, you know, there she was. And the show was magnificent and the audience went crazy. And, and what that show ultimately is, when it is done correctly, it is a life force. It is a constant challenge of people making choices to just go further, live their life, take those risks. I mean, that's why people respond to it. I remember when we were in La Jolla, Kudish was, was Trevor Graydon. Right. And he had just come off of the, the Michael John Lucchese wild party with Mandy Patinkin mm. that had, you know, not run very long, I guess a couple months, whatever that was. And here he was out in another 20s musical with a flapper. And, you know, we were in previews and, you know, you're cursed and you're nervous. And I remember standing in the house with him and he looks at me and goes, dude, you know, he's, 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 he's dude. <laughs> Dude, I'm like, what? He goes, this show's a hit. I said, don't blow smoke. He goes, no, it's a hit. I just did the other one. Here's the difference. He goes, here's what life is. Life is who you're lucky enough to meet in your life. And this show, all the people she meets are great. In the other show, they were all assholes. Yeah. I know. And I was like, yeah, Guru Markudish. But I was like, right. And, you know, so... I look back on all of it, I've just been lucky at meeting the right people at the right time. And really, that's what it is. I've, I, you know, I've had ability to recognize how special they are and be like, oh, this is someone to work with or be friends with or get married to. But hmm. you, you have no control whether you're going to actually meet them. Yeah. Well, ha- having been at the Muni twice so far, and I and I hope to I hope to add to that list <laughs> yeah. going forward. It's been a joy to to meet you and get to know you over the years. So I, I appreciate you taking the time out sure. today to talk to me. Happy to. Mike is certainly someone who knows this business inside and out, and I particularly loved his story about Thoroughly Modern Millie and the odds and the challenges that they were up against and how he continued to listen to his voice, to listen to the audience, and knew that he had something special in his hand. And I think that that's something that all of us as artists need to do, to recognize what we have, the specialness that we have, the talents that we can bring, and keep on believing in ourselves. For more on Mike Isaacson, you can look in the show notes for ways you can follow and keep up with his work at the Muni. If you enjoy listening to these stories and interviews as much as I love being a part of them, then please share this podcast with those who you think would enjoy and benefit from these conversations. And you can certainly always reach out to me with your own thoughts, and maybe you even have a different take on something that Mike said. Either way, I'd love to hear from you at contact.winmepodcast.com. Well, I'm your host, Patrick Oliver-Jones, reminding you that the reasons for not making it may be countless and frustrating, but the reasons to keep going are even more numerous and rewarding. Let's get together again next week as we talk more about why I'll never make it. Hey, it's Leslie Odom Jr. here on the Broadway Podcast Network to tell you about the RISE Theatre Directory, a program of maestro music. RISE is a national online resource designed to connect and empower backstage and administrative and creative theatre professionals from underrepresented backgrounds. If you work 
or aspire to work in the theater community, this can help you find your next project. And if you hire theater professionals, search the Rise Theater directory to find your next team. Create your profile now and get more information by visiting risetheater.org. That's theater with an R E R I S E T H E A T R E dot org because only together we rise. Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered chumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, Mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa. Take it easy, Judy. <laughs> The Chumba Life is for everybody. So go to ChumbaCasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.